This is Colin from Cannot Justify. You're rocking Attitude Era Live with Icon, Granny Hawkster, and Big Swim. You're listening to 89.1 Ken's FM, KNMZ, Holly Fargo-Moorhead. Independent public radio for Fargo-Moorhead and the Valley. Also on the web at www.kensfm.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Attitude Era, Monday Live, Monday time, and I wonder what's going on here. Hold on a second. There seems to be something not set right here. I did it again. No, that's that's working. The, The program thing wasn't set. It was set for the it was set for the cuper out there. Yeah. There we go. I wonder who would have hit that button. I did it. Oh, okay. All right. Well, we're here, uh, and I believe Granny is here, aren't you? Yes, I am. And you know, I was kind of wondering where you were, Icon, because I'm used to talking to you for a few minutes before we start the show, and you never came on. All I heard was music. So. <laughs> Well, you know, it was it was it was really weird because uh, I was fading down the uh, I was fading down the uh, thing and it wasn't fading, and then I realized that that uh, uh, this thing was uh, this was selected here. This bottom one was selected. Oh, audition. Yeah. I don't remember that. No. Should <laughs> uh, off air is actually exactly what it is. Okay. I mean, you've got a monitor internet feed. Oh, okay. Your audience is getting an education here. <laughs> all right, okay, all right. So it always has to be on the third button. Yeah. Okay, always we're good. All right. Uh, as you know, our resonant guru genius, uh, Ken, can fix anything. <laughs> and uh, Scott needs to learn to uh, watch his levels. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely do that. All right, so, uh, Granny, I guess uh, you uh, have a... Uh, 
a uh, new belt that uh, you were coveting. Well, now it's no, it's not mine. Okay, it's not mine. It's just yesterday at Diamond State Wrestling in good old Springdale, Arkansas, we had Diamond State Wrestling presents Royal Treatment. Oh, that okay. was the new women's Diamond State Championship belt, and we had a four-way fatal four-way match between four of the best women at Diamond State Wrestling, and our new champion is Olivia Vegos, I think is how she pronounces her last name. And But we had Killa Kate, we had Emmy Camacho, and we had Nikki... And I apologize, I do not remember her last name. That was our first time having her at Diamond State. I was not familiar with her, but <clears throat> we do have a new women's champion. As a matter of fact, all the belts last night were recently made for our champions, our tag team champions, with none other than Eli Perez and Tino Valentino. <clears throat> they faced the Camachos, and they won the tag team titles. Unfortunately, Luke Langley did not win his champion, the championship belt that he was fighting for against William Blackwell. Um, and uh, unfortunately, Shane Taylor was uh, lost to Angel Camacho only because Angel Camacho had help from Onyx and Zarek, and uh, they and his little manager, Irving Camacho, distracted the referee so that they could come out and throw him a set of brass knuckles. And I tried to tell the referee what happened, but unfortunately it did not change the outcome of the match. And then Alexander Gold now is now turned heel, and he beat Laurentis X, which was totally uncalled for, but it, there was a lot of um, surprises last night. No, I was just holding, I, I just had my picture taken with the belt. But I, 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 I love the cool collector card that you made for me. That was pretty awesome, you know, so thank you for that. But, no, it's not my well, belt. You know, I, I wish I could have that. one. I wish I could have one that like that, but, you know, no, not not my belt, but, you know, so... Well, yeah, we get we have a busy show tonight. Uh, unfortunately, Matthias will not be with us, uh, but we might be having an appearance from an old friend. I can you hear did you one laugh. hell of a job, and only thing else I got to say is, how about you, Cowboys? Big swing, they stink. Uh, that would be uh, that would be uh, Big Swing here. As a matter of fact, let's just go quickly, and then we'll catch up with Big Swing here. Uh, our first guest will be uh, Tammy uh, Sharpentier. Uh, she is a bodybuilder and a weightlifter, and I uh, wouldn't really mess with her. Uh, then our second guest will be uh, Jane Chow III and uh, Massimilo Chira. They got a new sci-fi movie they're going to talk to us about. And from Back to the Future 2 and 3, we have Jeffrey Wiseman. Of course, he was George McFly in Back to the Future 2 and 3. And I have a couple big announcements that I, I you know, I usually don't talk about um, guests that we have coming up in the future, but I could not resist this one. 
we are actually going to have a very special guest with us uh, in July, and uh, he goes by his real name, and uh, his real name is fun. yeah is Joey D'Aria. Of course, you guys know him better as Bozo the Clown, and he's going to be on with us, and he's also, he also was the voice of Drooby back in the day. So we're going to be talking to him, and we have a special Christmas show lined up the first week in December. Santa Claus will be our guest here on the show. So uh, big stuff oh, is so on the horizon. He comes here first before he goes around the world. I got you. Yeah, so uh, so big stuff is on the horizon, but uh, big swing. Uh, you have not been with us in I don't know several. It seems like a decade. What have you been up to, man? Well, I, I've been doing production stuff behind the scenes, and you know I, I haven't been an on-air personality in quite some time. But that's because I've been doing my on-air personality stuff here, um, and it's been so busy with uh, you know Yankees starting, which who stink by the way. Yankees, um, the, the NBA Finals, NHL stuff, you know, it's just been, it's been crazy. Um, and then, and then the draft. So it's been, it's been nuts. But I can, I do want to ask you though, since I do know that, uh, you know, we are, we are now also affiliated with 89.1 Ken's FM up there in uh, Fargo, North Dakota. Um, yep. I would like to. I would like to ask you uh, the, the my, my my vaunted Dallas Cowboys have uh, undrafted free agent signing of uh, Hunter Lupke, and if I if I am mispronouncing his name, I am sorry, but he is a oh, that is right. Yep. Um, that you, is right. You, you know you know who he is. Uh, he was given a hundred and eighty thousand dollar base salary, twenty thousand dollar signing bonus as a fullback. Uh, you said you liked the kid, but something that intrigued me the other day. Um, when I texted you about it, was you actually spoke to him about going to Dallas? So you actually you, you know Hunter, you've, you've you've had contact with him. Oh, I, I know Hunter really well. As a matter of fact, uh, okay. One of the reasons why the uh, NDSU Bison were not successful against South Dakota State during the championship game, and I'm led to believe this, if Hunter Rookie would have been playing in that game, the outcome would have been a little different, since he was not oh, lined did, up. Did he have like an injury, and that's or? where they they ran all over us. So he was oh, hurt, okay. so he did not play in the championship game. So that's why. If he would have, if he would have been in the game, it would have been a little different story. Uh, and we might and the have, other, the uh, other bison. Well, the other bison that I covered real quick uh, that I personally didn't get to talk to, but uh, one of my colleagues at our Florida station did was uh, was was Mark Cody Mark as well, uh, who did get drafted, who's who's down in Tampa. Uh, who I know is a tough physical kid, and you know you can just tell his physicality because he's missing what like three front teeth, I think. But uh, um, he's oh, yeah. he's Cody an Moore. interesting character. But, uh, but no, I, I'm I'm actually intrigued. I've been watching uh, I, I've been watching Hunter Lupke, uh tape all week, and uh, I tell you, I, I haven't had the luxury of of having a bison, you know, on, on my squad. Uh, all, all the all the NDSU players that have come to the league have been on other teams and uh in fact i watched one of them um i watched one of them torch us last year uh for those of you in the north dakota metro area who will remember the name christian watson um didn't do jack you know what for the first seven weeks of the season decides to have a breakout three touchdown 200 yard receiving game against my dallas cowboys so uh yes I, i'm used to seeing bison uh you know, against us, but now, now we got one in the family, so I'm I'm anxious to see if this kid uh, 
can have a good NFL career with us as a fullback. Well, I was really hoping that he was going to torch you guys, and he did. Uh, as a matter of fact, the first game that he played was against uh, MD, uh, was against the Minnesota Vikings. And if you recall, and he, dropped he that did pass. drop yeah. that. Yep. yep. Uh huh. And I sent him a message on Facebook Messenger. I said I thanked him for dropping the pass, and then he wouldn't talk to me for seven weeks after that. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I told him how I was just joking around, and then look what happened the second time he played in Minnesota. So. There you go. Oh yeah, yeah. No, he he's he's a solid kid, and he's uh, you know, he's good. And I'm also rooting for um, Trey Lance to you know find a find a uh, a good resting spot to play as well. So uh, a lot of Bison in the league, a lot of lot of good uh, NDSU and 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 uh, Fargo, North Dakota being represented in the NFL. But anyways, I kind of we probably have our, our first guest on, so uh, we'll, yeah. we'll we'll go to that. Yeah, our get back first on guest is ready. Uh, We're going to take a quick little commercial break. We'll be back after these messages, and stick with us for our first guest. We'll be right back. The new Woodspring Suites of Fargo, located at 1090 35th Street North at the I-29 and 12th Avenue North Interchange, is an extended-stay pet-friendly hotel with kitchenettes in every room, including a stovetop, full-size fridge, and microwave, plus a big 40-inch flat-screen TV with free Wi-Fi. You can book a room at 701-582-1600 or online at www.woodspring.com. Woodspring Suites of Fargo, rated 4.2 by Trust Score. No, All right, honestly, ladies and gentlemen, know. stepping out of the green room and walking down the aisle. She is our first guest of the night, and she has got muscle upon muscle, and she could probably bench press you, bench press myself, and bench press everybody that she comes in contact with. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you our first guest. She is Tammy Sharpenier. Hey, this is Tammy Sharpenier. You're listening to the Attitude Era Monday Live on 89.1 Ken's FM with your host, the loon, the big swing, the godmother of wrestling, Granny Hollister, and modern Midnight Masses. How are you? Good to have you with us. Thank you. I'm great. All right. Uh, so we're going to have a little fun with the interview here. What we're going to do is uh, I'll uh, ask you a few questions, and then we'll do a roundtable, and we'll come back to me, and I'll ask you the tougher questions. But first off, we're going to have you give us a little background about yourself, and then we'll uh, have a little conversation with you. Sure. Um, um, I what used to be 216 pounds lost a ton of weight, um, went through a divorce and got into bodybuilding, um, became a national competitor in figure, then I switched up to physique, got cancer, and I beat my cancer and took stage as soon as I was done radiation and won overall physique champion, and then just did the pro qualifier and took second in Canada. So when you decided to get into the whole bodybuilding field, was it was it was it a tough to to get started or did you kind of take to it right away? Um, it was um, it was tough because you had to learn how to eat um, a different way than you would normally eat, um, and I didn't have the confidence in myself that I could do it because I was a big girl. So in your head, you think you're still big, but I had a pro bodybuilder say I had the muscle and I could. She thought I did compete so. Once I started doing it and got used to eating that way, now it's easy. But at first it was tough. And uh, when you, uh, to get the physique that you have, and uh, a few of us are checking out in the studios right now, 
how much uh, weightlifting did you have to do uh, to get all that muscle mass? Actually, you don't have to lift a whole lot. It's more, it's 90% is your diet. It's how you eat. So it, it depends on, like, your meal plan is made to your workout plan. So the fats that you put in, and you just follow the workout program. So, I mean, I don't lift heavy, like, the most, maybe 50, like, when I'm lifting on anything. Um, I don't lift heavy. It's just the more reps you do and how you eat, if that makes sense. It it, it does. And... uh you know, the thing is, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this, but you, you mentioned, uh, you know, different eating styles and everything. So did you, like, have to, like, like, like every morning get up and uh, crack three raw eggs into a glass and a can of tuna and blend it up and just drink it down, or is that is that a myth? Uh, well, I, I would think probably some of the bigger boys do that. Um not me. Like, I get, like, four egg whites, you know, one-fourth of oatmeal and cinnamon. I just mix it up and put it in the microwave and make, I call them my little hockey pucks. But <laughs> <laughs> so there are people that, does, that do mix up that with chicken and everything. That does sound yeah. very That does sound very appetizing, but um, I, I, just, I just can't imagine what that would be like having to drink raw eggs. I mean, I've heard there's, there's, trainer, there's people that train in bodybuilding that do that. But uh, you got yeah. lucky. You don't have to do that. No. No, I did try it one time because you drink protein shakes. And one time I did try putting the eggs in with the protein shake and drinking it, and I almost gagged. <laughs> I can't do <laughs> I, it. I, I, you know, I, I, like most people, I prefer my eggs cooked. Uh, yeah. But uh, it's like I tell everybody, uh, what kind of eggs you want? And uh, they always say, like, hard-boiled or over-easy or whatever. But if you have me make your eggs, they're going to come out scrambled anyway, so it doesn't matter what you pick. Um, Mine needs to get a have, hockey puck. <laughs> we have uh, Tammy Sharpenter as our guest here, and uh, we have uh, well, we have, uh, we have a, good, uh, a good amount of time with you, but I'm going to introduce you to our first co-host. Uh, it's Granny Hulkster. Uh, Granny, I know that you uh, always wanted to be a bodybuilder when you were uh, a young teen. So we have our guest. Uh, go ahead. Well, first of all, I can welcome. I am not that old. I'm, I'm 60 years old, but I mean, bodybuilding is not my thing. Okay, I've never wanted to be a bodybuilder. I don't think I could ever be a bodybuilder. But welcome to our show. It's a pleasure to have you on. So, how challenging? Was it for you, I mean, to be able to do the things that you did with bodybuilding, you know, being a cancer survivor? Because, I mean, I've had a lot of friends that have, you know, dealt with cancer, and that's not an, that's not an easy thing to have to live with, I'm sure. And I'm no. sure you had your ups and downs throughout that oh, yeah. period of time before, you know, oh, yeah. you, you kicked cancer. Right. Well, I found out after my first physique show, because when you do physique, you have to lean right down because you you have to lean right down. I think I hit stage with 8% body fat when I did that one. So that's when I noticed the lump in my arm. So right after that show is when I was diagnosed with cancer. And then for the whole five months, um, like I had my surgery and I had to do 16 rounds of radiation. But the doctor always told me, if you want to heal fast, stay doing what you do. Stay active. Do what you always do. So 
I would do my radiation in the evening and I would train in the morning. So I still trained while I was doing my radiation, call me crazy, but I still did it. I get up and I would train in the morning, go do radiation and come home and sleep. And even as soon as I was healed from my surgery, I was back in the gym working out because wow. that's my therapy. That's my therapy was the gym just to, wow. to, to ease my brain. That was my, that was my time. My thinking time was the gym when, because then I can't cry when I'm in there. <laughs> I had to be strong no matter what. So as soon as I was done my 16 rounds of radiation, I'm so used to being fit because I've been fit for so many years that I literally lost everything no matter how much I trained because you can't eat the same as you eat as a cancer patient as you would as a bodybuilder. Do you know what I mean? Like you can't, I had, oh, yeah. to do a lot of juicing. I had to do a lot of juicing and stuff when I had cancer. So I couldn't eat mm. the high proteins and everything that I did. So it was depressing watching my body losing it. So as soon as I was done my 16th round of radiation, I hired my coach and I said, let's get my body back. And within a year and a half, I had it back and better. But well, I admire, I admire your your fight for it, you know, you, the strength, you know, to, to keep on going. I, oh. I actually have, um, I, I love to watch professional wrestling. And mm. um, I have a friend that has an organization over in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I live in Arkansas. I live in Springdale, Arkansas. But this uh-huh. organization is over in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and they've been doing wrestling for a cause for 11 years. They do independent wrestling shows, professional wrestling shows, for kids fighting childhood cancer. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, I have met so many amazing families and kids over the past 11 years. Well, going on 12 years now, almost 12 years now, they just had their 11th year anniversary show last October. So we're getting close to 12 years, and wow. they have helped. So many families, so many kids. I mean, even adults I've helped throughout this organization. And once you're part of the WFC family, you're always going to be part of the WFC family. Right. And and uh, I'm not even a wrestler, but that's where I kind of got the the gimmick name Granny Hulkster from because I love to watch <laughs> wrestling. And I don't like the bad guys. I holler, I boo at the bad guys at wrestling shows. They tell me to sit down and shut up before I break a hip, or they'll say, "Don't you have a curfew at the nursing home?" And I mean, we go we go back and forth. I mean, constantly. I I, I never know what they're going to say to me or what they're going to do. So I always, Brandy's always got to be like one step ahead. But right. I admire your determination and your strength and your I challenges that you had to, that you had to go through. I find that Facebook was a big push for me because I had so many people um, that knew me as this bodybuilder and then all of a sudden cancer knocked you down. And a lot of people don't get back up. And I had to stay positive through it all. And I showed my journey right from the beginning to the end on Facebook of what I was going through. And God God bless you. And it was, I think it was the inspiring of other people on Facebook pushed me even harder mm-hmm. to show them that I could do this. Anybody can do this. If I can do this, anybody can do this. 
And that's why I chose to do one more show after I beat my cancer to show everybody I beat the cancer, but I'm still going to stand on that stage because that's a win again. That's awesome. But then uh, Tammy Sherman is our guest here on 89.1 Kins FM. we got about uh, 22 minutes. And uh, generally, this is where I'd have uh, Big Swing ask a question. I don't know if he's ready, but I know that he's doing uh, uh, double duty like he always does. But one thing, Tammy, I do want to ask you, you know, you mentioned uh, fighting cancer. Uh, do you mm-hmm. feel that it was more uh, easier or tougher with your cancer fight with, uh, with how uh, good of shape that you were in? And your muscle mass. I think the um, I think the shape I was in helped me because the doctor had said, "Don't stop what you're doing. Stop. Don't stop being who you are. Continue doing what you do because you'll heal faster." And working out was my therapy. That was my therapy, and I think it helped awesome. me get through it faster and and help me heal better faster. All right, uh, big swing. You got a question? Well, uh, you guys pretty much covered uh, the journey and the, you know, the cancer and all that stuff. But I, I wanted to go back a little bit even further before that. And if uh, you answered this already, again, I do apologize. I have one headphone in and the other one listening to clips from earlier on stuff. But um, so, what, what, what led you to your uh, decision to become? a female bodybuilder. Why why was this what you decided that you wanted to do? Was there any particular influence in your life that, you know, somebody you looked up to, somebody that pushed you to do it? It's already in the family, different things. Like what kind of was your motivation? Bodybuilding was not even in my mind. Um, I went through a divorce 10 years ago. Um, I had just lost all the weight I had put on me when I had my kids. And I just finally got back to what I used to be, and then I went through my divorce. So I put on 40 pounds. So I started going to the gym because I thought, well, I'm 43, so I can't put on all this weight and be single. I'll be single all my life. And as I was going to the gym, I didn't know that you needed body fat to build muscle. I had no clue because I knew nothing about Nothing. I didn't. I never was not a gym girl. Mm -hmm. So as I would go to the gym and work out, take my anger out in there. I built that muscle into, I built that fat into muscle. And I had a pro bodybuilder come up to me and she said, you must compete. She said, because you have some nice pipes there. And I said, no, this is a body of fat. (laughs) And she says, no, she says, you have a body of muscle. You should compete. So that evening, I know this is going to sound crazy, but that evening I told my daughter about it. She challenged me. I said, no. And then I went to, a gathering in Mournville here, and it was a medium that Kate was there. And this medium came to my table, and she said, who here lost a male figure? I said, I did. And she goes, well, he's standing behind you. And I'm like, thinking, right. And she says, well, first, before we go on, she says, he wants to ask you about the spit, which was when I was younger, so it was my dad. So I knew, okay, this is, this is only he knew about that. So she said, yeah. he has a message for you. And she says, he says you need to do it. She goes, do you understand? I said, no. She said, he said that you need to do it in order to get your confidence back in yourself. The next day I hired my coach and I've been going ever since. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's, well, that's a, definitely a unique story because, um, <laughs> you know, it, it could have very easily, like, like it, it's like a 50-50. Like it very easily could have not went that way too, you know? So, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But bodybuilding was not even even in my mind. 
it just happens. Yes, yeah, like we we speak, we talk with a lot of uh, wrestlers and different things uh, on this program, and a lot of them were like, you know, I grew up watching it, or I did, you know, this in high school, and I did this sport, or I did whatever, and they kind of had the seeds planted early on, but. Uh, for you to just really just spontaneously pick it up one day and then have now the physique that you do is um, yeah, yeah, really I have a lot of people ask me, do you know this bodybuilder? Do you know this bodybuilder? And it's like, well, no. And they're like, well, you're in the industry. And it's just, well, I don't know. I don't know nothing about bodybuilders. I just do it for me. Yeah, you do it I don't for know. you, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I know Arnold Schwarzenegger and stuff like that. But as for all these bodybuilders, I don't know who they are because I just, Go in and try to better myself each show. Well, so so do you? So so you do it for for you know for you and to stay in shape and everything. But do you do you know like national competitions and things, or is it mostly just for your own you know mental and physical health? Um. Well, this last little bit, it, it's um, like I just did the in October. I just did the Toronto Pro Qualifier. I was competing for my pro card. Okay. And um. That's the last show I just did here now. So now I'm taking a break because my, I've done nice. 10 shows back to back. So oh, wow. now I can either, within the next year, I can either do another pro qualifier. And if I surpass the year, then I have to go back down and work my way up again. Ah, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's, I do it to me. So, I mean, I like the challenge. I liked watching what you can do to yourself. So to me, it doesn't matter whether I start at the bottom and work my way up. It's bettering myself every time I hit stage. Which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, I, like Tammy, I, I really uh, appreciate that. Uh, Tammy Sherman is our guest here on 89.1 Kent FM. And uh, for those of you who listen to our show on a regular basis, you go to 89.1 Kent FM page like that. Go to... And you air Monday Live Monday page like that. Do a ten dollar month donation, pile of the tower. We'll get you automatically qualified to win a autograph picture from past guests, current guests, and future guests. And I believe that Tammy's going to send us a few for our listeners uh, that are listening out there yes, right now. I, I haven't made it. <laughs> well, that's I will get them. Uh, I just haven't had a chance yet. <laughs> well, you know, I'll tell you. Uh, since you're since you're definitely bigger than me, and you could probably beat me up, I'm not going to push the envelope, as they say, with you. <laughs> I will so now, when, now when you're when you're competing, uh, this is one uh, thing that uh, I, it, it would be kind of interesting. I don't know if uh, anybody's ever asked you this, but when you uh, are competing, how many different uh, sections of the contest are they that you have to compete in? So, what do you mean? Like, how many? Like, how many times do I go up? Like, what do I do? Like, or how many? Like when well, I do a show, like when I did, like when I did the yeah, Toronto well, Pro know. Qualifier, I yeah. did three. I did three categories. Okay. So I competed in the open class, which I was competing against all ages, like from eighteen to whatever age, and then I did the Masters thirty-five and the Masters forty-five. And then uh, now, do, do and what? Uh, uh, what do they score you on? Is it like uh, from one to ten, one to twenty? What 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 is the scoring breakdown? Um, I never ask. I never. I think I've only ever. What they'll grade you on, like your posing, your makeup, your bikini, your smile, your like that's how you get scored. And I've only ever once phoned in and asked for my feedback. 
Um, but they'll give you your feedback on how they judged you. Like my one show, um, I got feedback saying I was too grainy. I was too lean compared to the other girls. So I lost marks on that because I was too lean compared to them. Um, one show I got lean. marked on because I was too I was too fit compared. Like my last figure show, I got docked because I was too fit and in figure. That's why I had to move up. Because I was too big compared to the other figure girls. I had too much body mass and too lean compared to them. So I had to go to a well, different division. So they they, they yeah, don't ask but, for much, do they? <laughs> yeah. No, there's a lot <laughs> that they judge you on. Like, I mean, everything. Your makeup, your smile, um, how you walk onto stage, are you prepared? Um, your posing has to be right on. Are you popping the right muscles? Like, pop your muscles to get them to pop. If you're too lean, not too lean, lean, too big. Yeah. Now, do you make your own costumes? Or your own swim swimsuits or whatever? You can get them made, but I always just buy mine, either from another competitor or something. And when you're when you're competing, what is your favorite thing about competing other than the fact uh, that you're gonna win the contest? It's just neat to get up there and just be able to show your work. What you work so hard on to because a lot of people can't do that. So it's just neat to get up on the stage and throw those poses out there and show because you go through the stages of building and then shrinking, you know, you're so big. And then also when you take all that off and you see what you've sculpted that you worked on it, to me, it's just a high see getting out there and finally putting on stage what I've been working on for the past five months. My job at two thirty in the morning. And <laughs> so. Now this may, this may be a pretty self-explanatory, but I'll put it to you. Is it easier to take it off or to put it on, the, the weight that you need to, and the muscles? To put it on. To put, take it off is, is tough because you have to – you then are going to be – like I lived on fish. Like four of my meals were fish a day, eggs in the morning. Um, you pretty much lose your carbs. And you're doing – I would get up at 2.30 in the morning and do cardio for an hour – go to work all day, go back to the gym after work and do another hour of cardio plus my workout because that cardio is a big thing to get that off now. So now you have to kill that cardio. So sometimes it's like and, two hours of cardio, so more. You know, and I'm sure you've been asked this pickup line before, but how much can you bench? I don't bench. <laughs> 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 I don't know because never, I've never really benched. I never really... Lift heavy. I well, never really lift heavy. What what kind of weight training do you do, or is it, is it just all cardio? Um. Well, like I'll do my free weights. I like when you're doing your shoulders, or if you're doing your biceps, um, you're doing your uh, doing your core. You're doing a lot of your planking and stuff. Um, legs, you just pretty much usually I'll push like maybe like a hundred on my legs sometimes 100 to 80 on my legs. Um, biceps, I usually just do the 35 is usually the heaviest for me for that, <clears throat> and same with um, shoulders. Um, I think maybe once I've ever benched and had a guy help me, I think I ever did was like maybe 50 on that, but that was tough. Or 220, yeah, 225, so, so I'd be what, 50. 
So if, you know, if someone that looks at uh, looks at your 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 physique, you know, they would probably think that uh, with all your muscle mass, and everything, you could probably lift like two, three hundred pounds. But that's not necessarily the case right. either, is it? Exactly, because a lot of people don't understand is um, how you eat is ninety percent. Like my coach would rather me miss a gym workout opposed to missing my meal, because your food is the most important thing. Is your food? Now, do you uh, do you have to eat? Do you uh, set your your meal schedule up that you eat the same time every day? Like you have breakfast at this time, you have your lunch at this time, then you have your dinner at this time. Yeah, my body's pretty much trained like that. My work, I always like my body is like on a schedule. Like I eat at this time for breakfast, this time I, I have this on my break, and this time I have this, this time I have this, and that's just how my body's trained to eat. And I still do it even though I'm not training for a show. Like, I still eat like that in those times because my body's so used to eating at those times. Because you're trained to eat to fuel your body every two and a half to three and a half hours. And when you're when you're competing, uh, how many do you usually compete against? How many how many generally in a contest, or does that vary? It varies. It all depends on it all depends on how many are registered in it. Um, when I did the open class, I think in Toronto here in October, I think there was what nine 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 of us on stage, and I think I took six. I took six. Was it six? I think I took six. In, in that one, in the old, like and in then, the open class. And then, do you find that you're competing against the same the same competitors all the time, or is it always different? Do you ever see anybody more than once? Um, most of the time, they've been different. I think I've stood on the stage maybe twice with like this this show and the show before the same girl I was on stage with. But other than that, they're usually they're they've all been different that I've been on stage with. Uh, Tammy Sharpenter uh, is our guest here on 89.1 Kent FM. We've got about uh, seven minutes here left before, uh, before the interview is over here. Now, when you are competing and you're doing all your different, uh, I, I, guess you could, uh, I guess you called it uh, different uh, segments of the contest, uh, is there one that you excel, excel in more than the others? What some that like when I'm on stage, what I compose out the best is, is that what you're saying? Well, you know, like you mentioned that the last contest you had, you had three different, uh, uh, I guess you call them the categories. Yeah, you had three different um, categories. Is there one category that uh, you excel at compared to the others, or is it all the same? Oh, it's different because when you do the open class, you're going against girls that are all ages. I mean. I'm 53 years old, and I'm going against 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds. So some of these girls have way more energy than me. I may be bigger than some, but some are monsters. And I guess it also depends on how much juice these girls want to do, too. I don't do, like, all that kind of stuff. So some of these girls can be pretty big. Um, and then when you get into the Masters 35, then between Masters 35 and 45, we're pretty much the same. Like, we're pretty much all kind of the same, but the open class, you have a variation of everything. So the 35 and 45 are the easier ones because they're more, we're more kind of the same. That makes sense? Yes. And does it, 
is it easier to go uh, up against uh, someone that's younger than you, the same age as you, or older than you? Or does that not matter? It doesn't really matter. It's just, it's, I think it just depends on the person's body. Like, there's some people, like the girl I was competing against in this last show, I beat her in my last figure show, and I beat her in this show, and she trains a lot harder than I do. But you take stage, and somehow I beat her. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but now, I did. But it's, yeah. Now, with with the, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, this last contest, you had uh, three different categories. What is the most uh, amount of categories that you have in a competition uh, that you could uh, have to go through? Um, well, most people, well, if you're under 40, you're pretty much, or under 30, you can only do one. But because of my age, I get to do all the categories because of my age. Because there's the open Masters 35, Masters 45, whereas, um, like, the girls who are in the 30s can only do, like, those two, and then those who are 18 and 20, and they can only do the open. So as you get older, you get to do more because of your age. You can be more cat, like more age groups. Does that make sense? Yeah, and then it's, it's, it's always at least three categories, right? Right, yeah. What, what would you say is the most categories that you would have ever had to uh, be involved in? Um, the last, I'd have to say, three shows I've been in all the categories. I've done them all. That's awesome. I've done all three in all the shows. And is there a uh, is there is there a competition that uh, you go to every year? Like you you look forward to it every year, uh, or do they not have like yearly competitions at at different locations? They're they're different locations, and they're it varies at where you're at. So like I mean, um, when I started physique, I did the Muscle Beach. Well, then for the next one, I would have to go. I went to Calgary. That's where I won my overall champion. And then this one, uh, for nationals, I had to go to Toronto. So like, you, you have to go up the ladder. I mean, I could, could have done a show, another show here to Edmonton. I could have done a few in Edmonton, but then I would have lost that spot going into nationals then. Does that make sense? Yes. So if I step and, back uh, and do a show lower... And then uh, one other thing about comp, uh, competing I, I, I want to ask about. Now, when you go to uh, the different uh, competitions, uh, are they like accumulated score? Like you, you get a score here, and then that carries over to the next thing, and then you like, go on to like, uh, like the semifinals and the quarterfinals and the championship? Uh, no, like in one show, no, you will, you'll take stage in the morning, and they'll judge you right off the morning show and then in the afternoon you do it all over again but they've already have who chosen what they want or who they picked to want to win or where you placed that's awesome uh, t- uh tammy sharpman is our guest here on 89.1 kent fm and we only got a few we only got a few minutes here left with uh with our guest here uh one thing i'd like to ask uh, tammy if if our fans want to check you out and see if you got a facebook and instagram a youtube a twitter a twitch a tiktok what do you got i have facebook and it's under tammy sharpenter it's open and then i have instagram and it's 44 tam that's open and then i'm on tiktok and i think i'm 44 tam or tam i think 
the Tam Sharpenter, Tammy Sharpenter. <laughs> I'm on. All right, three. and and then uh, real quick here, we we only got a, a few seconds here. Uh, what advice would you give somebody that wanted to get into uh, the competition that you're in? Do it. If it's something you want to do, do it. It's a neat experience. It's it's a great experience. I I highly suggest for someone who is not into it and got into it. It's such a high watching what you can do to yourself and what you learn. It's great. And your confidence that you get back in yourself. Oh, yeah. It's great. I say do it. <laughs> there you go. I'll, I'll tell you what, Tammy, you are so awesome. I'm glad that you were able to join us t- uh, tonight. And uh, hopefully uh, you would be willing to join us again uh, uh, before your next uh, competition. <laughs> Uh, so we can mm-hmm. uh, get everybody, uh, we can get you all hyped up and uh, uh, get everybody to come cheer you on where you're at. Well, that'd be awesome. Thank you. <laughs> all right, Tammy, we love you. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Tammy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. That was uh, Tammy Sharpener, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, our next guest looks like is waiting the wings. We need to take a quick little commercial break. We'll be back after these messages, so stick with us. After this, we'll be back. So you're outside looking at that ticking time bomb of snow on your roof. A phone call to Elevated Concrete and Snow Removal will solve that problem. They can be reached at 701-866-9018 or at Elevated Concrete and Snow Removal on Facebook. Their concrete work includes driveways, sidewalks, walkways, approaches, garage floors, patios, and shed pads. Hey, Plus, they offer decorative or stamped concrete as well. And all estimates are free. Once winter is over, they are ready for any concrete project you have. Elevated concrete and snow removal at 701-866-9018. Ladies and gentlemen, stepping out of the green room and walking down the aisle. She is an awesome actress. And she's also a great sci-fi performer. She's a producer. She's a director. And she's joining us right now. Her name is Jane Chawa. I think that's me over there. Hi, this is Max, actually. (laughs) Jane, are you there with us? This is Max. Jane is calling you right now. All right. So, oh, so you guys are together. I thought you guys were going to be. Uh, yes. I thought you guys were going to be on separate phones. I guess I misunderstood that. Yeah, she's calling you right now on yeah, the other yeah, phone. Actually, you could put that. Down. Okay. All right. One second. Well, we'll just wait to call in and we'll put you guys both on together. Sure. I'll watch the board. Hey. All right, there we go. All right. Uh, uh, Jane is with us now, I do believe, right? That's correct. All right. And uh, we also have, uh, uh, is it uh, Massimiliano? I go by Max, but yes. All right. So we have Max and Jane. How are you guys tonight? All good, my friend. All about you. All right. 
so here's how we're going to do it. I'll ask you guys. Uh, uh, I'll ask you guys a few questions, and then we'll do a roundtable. Then we'll come back uh, and uh, ask you guys the tougher questions. And then, as I ask the questions, if you you guys can decide uh, who uh, who can field the question, or uh, you can decide. Uh, you know, just say you take this, or maybe you should answer. How, how's that sound, Dave? Sure. Sounds great. All right. All right, so you guys have uh, you guys did a movie together, if I'm not mistaken, correct? I believe it's called uh, Andromeda Wars. Is that correct? It's a sci-fi movie. That's correct. That's correct. Andromeda Wars. Yes. And uh, when did you uh, when did you start uh, producing this and making this? This movie we we finished it a few days ago, actually, <laughs> and we started we started in. Uh, uh, April. And uh, I'm I'm guessing uh, Jane, he, you were the first one uh, on his list as a uh, uh, to be in the film, correct? That's correct. Uh, I, I have her on the. I uh, she's calling for three two seven five, right? Uh, are you calling for? I don't hear her at all, Icon. All I can hear Hi, is the gentleman. I don't. There. Jane, say something. Hey, this is Jane. Jane Chua. Oh, okay. There. Oh, there you are. Okay. So we have both you guys on now. Okay. So, uh, so here's how we're gonna do it. Uh, Jane, uh, you, um, you, uh, you are uh, are a uh, great uh, actress and a producer and a director. How many uh, different films have you uh, done? Well, uh, back in 2007, I've done several, several. I was, uh, I was actually in the filmmakers, and now I just moved to L.A., and uh, this year we are, we just finished, we just wrapped one film which is, that, is, that is called The Andromeda, Andromeda Wars. We just wrapped a week ago, and we are... We are actually in pre-production for another film we shoot in July. Uh, we have uh, Jade and Max as our guests here on 89.1 Kent FM, and uh, we, uh, we're going to have a little fun with uh, our guests here. And uh, we have, well, we have about uh, 25 minutes here with them. Uh, I'm going to ask a few more questions, then we'll do a roundtable, and we'll come back to me. Uh, you know, one of the interesting things about uh, your movie, uh, uh Andromeda Wars is uh, we had uh, another actor from the film on with us a couple months ago, uh, Rhino Michael. Yes, that's right. And uh, I, I did uh, Rhino tell you guys about us? He, no, he doesn't speak about his own stuff. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, well, anyway, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about. Uh, We'll talk about the uh, the movie about uh, Andromeda Wars. When is it uh, scheduled to be released? Supposed to be released this year. Um, right now we are in post production. the The trailer will be ready in a week, so just in time for Ken. And uh, we will be doing some pre sales as well at the Cannes Film Market. Uh, and by I don't want to be too optimistic. Let's say in a few months the movie will be ready for distribution. All right. 
here's what we're going to do here. We're going to have uh, we're going to uh, do the roundtable here. We're going to have uh, Granny ask a few questions. Uh, Granny, I know that you're a sci-fi nut, so uh, uh, what do you have for our guests? We have Max and Jane. Go ahead. Well, welcome to the show, uh, Jane and Thank Max. You for it's a pleasure us. to have you both on. Uh, what has been some of your challenging experiences when you're either trying to produce one of your productions or, you know, whether it's acting or what kind of challenges have you all had to face doing I, what you all do best? I started 29 years ago, 1994. So it's been a lot of paying my dues, paying my dues until 2017 when uh, finally <laughs> the doors of Lionsgate open and I'll be I'm working with them and Cinetel uh, for the past 6 years so you know it's wow. uh, I'm still paying my dues of course uh, but <laughs> uh, you know, the most challenging thing is to stretch a small budget and uh, make the movie look That's like a right. um, million dollars more better That's right wow uh, Jane and Max are our guests here on 89.1 Kids FM. Uh, Jane, I want to ask you uh, a few things about uh, your upcoming projects, and I'll ask Max uh, about his upcoming stuff. But uh, you, it looks like you've got a, a movie coming out. It's in pre-production right now called Jade Brooks Must Die. Is, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. It's in, uh, uh, actually, I'm still working on the uh, screenplay. And this movie, to be honest with you, uh, it's, I don't know, I started uh, um, writing it last year. It's just so difficult sometimes because this is a true story, true to life story. So I'm going to do that this year. Uh, so so it's, uh, so you're, you're going to, it hasn't, you haven't started production on it yet. You're going to make it this year then? I haven't. I haven't. Okay. And now, yeah. uh, we get most of our information from imdb.com, so if any of this information is inaccurate, you'll have to fire them, not our producer. But uh, there's a couple other movies that looks like you've got uh, that you're working on, uh, Drug Hunter, The Lost Ship, yes. uh, Summer Break 1929, and Loot and Legend yes. Point of No Return. Are uh, you working on yes. all those right now, or are they, uh, are they almost completed, halfway completed? Um Almost completed uh, two, uh, actually, the Luton Legend, which still has uh, like 17, 17 scenes to, to, fin- to finish, to complete. And also my summer break, 1929, that is a horror film, horror thriller. And I, I uh, you know, because I, I work with other film at the moment, which is I'm filming, I just wrapped one film, so I plan to... Uh, to uh, shoot again in probably August, something like that, for my summer break, 1999. Now, have you uh, have you guys worked together on other projects besides uh, the uh, uh, Artemina Wars? Uh, this is my first project with uh, Max. Um, so, and this is my best, I think, the best film that I'm producing at the moment. And I'm, I started, I, I actually uh, uh, one of the cast and, and uh, executive producer for this film. And this is my first project with Max. 
story by Matt. And is the second one. The first one was, the first one was uh, Drug Hunter, but the movie never. Oh finished. yeah, we worked together in yeah. Drug Hunter as well. He was my yeah, director yeah. as well. Uh, Max, I, I'm going to ask you. You, uh, I think you know a, a friend of mine uh, that uh, you may have done a movie with. Uh, his name is Rod Smith. Do you know Rod? Unfortunately, I know the guy. Yes. So. Let me let us just say unfortunately because a lot of things happened with him. So yes. Well, you know, uh, we were uh, me and my uh, co-host Matthias. Uh, we were going to be in uh, a couple movies of his, uh, The Legacy, uh, Part One and Part Two, because Part Three, you know, is already out. And uh, of course, we had to kind of uh, things have been halted on that project. But if uh, someone like me wanted to get uh, involved in working with you, what would I have to do? Send me a private message on Messenger <laughs> and let's talk, my friend. <laughs> yes. And, uh, yeah, that would be really awesome. I don't know if the Big Swing is there to ask a question or not. Uh, there he is. Uh, Big Swing, you know, we have uh, we have a great director. We have Max, and we have a great actress. Her name is Jan, and uh, uh, what do you have for them? Go ahead. Well, first, Icon, yeah, he's not going to give you the, the, the tricks of the trade over the air. Like you said, if you, if you want to message him and tell him, but, you know, he doesn't, doesn't want to give out any of those secrets as to how you can work with him on the air. I, I get that. But, um, no, so, you you know, Icon and Matthias, who unfortunately can't be with, his, us, with us here tonight, and Granny, they usually ask questions about the present. What is, you know, your favorite film you've done, directed, you know, yada, yada, yada. I'm kind of, you know, I'm usually more curious in what – got the start so what brought both and this question is for both of you it's a dual question what kind of got you involved in film what why was this something that was a passion of yours was there somebody in your life who you know you looked up to who you know led you in this direction or uh was it you know it just just take us through your journey a little bit max and and also for jane uh do you prefer acting or now that you've got a taste of directing you know do you think you want to do more of that uh to be honest with you i prefer to be behind the camera okay second ball is acting okay but jan you're so beautiful when you're in front of the camera i mean people would flock to theaters just to see you because you're in front of the camera (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. And, and, like and for that. both of you, though, how did you how did you get um, involved into it, though? Like, like, what made you want to start getting, you know, into films? Was there something, you know, uh, early in your life that you said, you know, what this is this is what I want to do. This is something that I, you know, that, that I want to mm-hmm. do. Like, what, what what led you on the journey? And it's for both of you. Matt? Okay, I'll start. <laughs> I'll start. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, before you guys answer that question, we need to take a quick little time out here. Thanks for listening to 89.1 Ken's FM. We are listener-supported radio, so the programming you hear on our station is funded by our members and these local and area businesses. So you're outside looking at that ticking time bomb of snow on your roof. A phone call to Elevated Concrete and Snow Removal will solve that problem. They can be reached at 701-866-9018 or at Elevated Concrete and Snow Removal on Facebook. Their concrete work includes driveways, sidewalks, 
walkways, approaches, garage floors, patios, and shed pads. Plus, they offer decorative or stamped concrete as well. And all estimates are free. Once winter is over, they are ready for any concrete projects you have. Elevated concrete and snow removal at 701-866-9018. Pixels Arcade and Beer Hall is a proud sponsor of 89.1 Ken's FM, specializing in vintage arcade games. Pixels has all of the dedicated classics in Retro Row, including Pac-Man, Galega, Centipede, Tron, Star Wars, and Track and Field. Plus, you can play a match of Killer Queen or pump up your sneakers on NBA Jam. Plus, we serve a variety of beers and seltzers. Coming up on May 6th, Pixels will be celebrating with Paradox Comics and Cards as they turn 30. In honor of special guest Quest Claremont, we will be offering a variety of X-Men games to play and have a one-token challenge on our retro X-Men beat-em-up. Pixels Arcade and Beer Hall, located at 1100 NP Avenue in Fargo, where you can play classic games at classic prices. You're listening to 89.1 Ken's FM, KNNZ-FM, Holly, Fargo-Moorhead. Independent public radio for Fargo-Moorhead and the Valley. Also on the web at www.kensfm.com. And we are back. So now uh, we'll, we'll pick up uh, where we left off here. Now, Max, when you decided to uh, become a film director, and Jan, same question, you know, you mentioned you prefer to be behind the camera instead of in front of the camera. Right. Is that because you have more control over what's going on on the set, or you you would rather give direction than take direction? Matt? Okay, I start. I start. All right. Okay, so it, uh, when I was 14 years old, um, actually, when I was from 11 to 14 years old, I was watching four to five movies a year, a day. And uh, back on the days, you know, when there were the VHS. <laughs> so a long, long time ago. <laughs> so back on those days, uh, I started to wanted to write and uh, had, the, you know, the idea of becoming a film director. So from Italy, I'm from Italy, that's why the accent. So when I was 18, I was able to move to U.S. I, I study in Hollywood, uh, and uh, I... I studied how to become a director and a producer, and it's been 29 years that, uh, you know, it's been my my passion and, uh, and the job at the same time. So it's been, uh, it's been a long journey, which is still hopefully going for another 20 years <laughs> before I die. I think it would be good. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, you, I guarantee you, you'll last a lot longer if you have me in one of your films. Uh, you can just ask uh, some of the other guys. Uh, Jan, how about you? Same question. Well, me, um, I love to tell a story. I like to create and tell a story. And so I decided, and also uh, I like to express I want to, my thoughts, my visions. And not only that, my, I started actually, I wanted to, to share about my life. And I said, how am I going to express how I, how am I going to express my feelings? I want to share everyone my experiences and 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 my thoughts. And so I said, um, that's why that that 
pushed me to, you know, to get involved in the film industry because I want to, uh, you know, translate my thoughts, my visions into like a concrete expression that I could share in the universe. That's you know, awesome. Uh, Max? I, yes. Go ahead. Uh, Max and James are guests here on 89.1 Kids FM, and we got about uh, 12 minutes here with our, uh, our, our group here. And uh, for those of you who go to our, uh, our, go to our Facebook page, as you there, Monday Live Monday, like that. Go to 89.1 Kens FM, like that. Do a $10 a month donation to Power of the Tower. We'll get you qualified to win an autograph picture from past guests, current guests, or future guests. Uh, now, would you guys be willing to send us a few autographs for giveaways? Sure. Sure. Awesome, and I'll send you guys the uh, I'll send you guys the information on uh, Messenger on where to send that. Uh, one thing I'd like to ask you, Max, is uh, with all the different titles from all the movies that I'm looking at, uh, you know, Adrenaline, Mayday, uh, just to name a few, you seem to like that high speed action action stuff. Mm-hmm. Correct. I started. Now, what, I started doing horror for 20 years. Then. I moved to to the action genre, and this is my first sci-fi. So, you know, hopefully, first of many. And uh, do you prefer? Is is there a well? You know, you mentioned you did horror that for that long, and then you did action. Now you're doing uh, sci-fi. Uh, is there one genre that you prefer over the others? I prefer the one that sells. So what I do is usually <laughs> usually my distributor will tell me what kind of movie they need, and based on uh, what they want, then I will uh, write a story, then uh, we'll go into a screenplay, and then we will make the movie that it's uh, right. you know required by the distribution company. Well, hey Max, I got an idea for a film of yours that'll make uh, that'll make some money. Can I give you my idea? Sure, give me the idea. All right, here, here's here's a good idea. Uh, your next film has me and Jan in it, okay? And uh, <laughs> we, and uh, we play uh, a couple that's going through a rough time, like a divorce or something. And uh, okay. she kicks me to the curb, and then she becomes this ultra-successful uh, uh, stockbroker, and uh, then she becomes an ultimate millionaire, and then I'm sitting there uh, in the streets, and everybody would come stre- uh, <clears throat> streaming to the just to see me living in the gutter. <laughs> oh, God, no. Let's not do this. Anyway, it sounded good, I guess, before I said it, but... Uh, now, uh, Max, when you um, when when you're doing uh, uh, when you're set, setting up to do a movie and getting ready to do a movie, mm-hmm. do you uh, uh, do you spend um, do, you, do you spend uh, like six or seven months writing it and then figuring out who's going to be in it, or do you like start writing it and then you like figure out, okay, I'm writing this role for this person, I'm writing this role for this person. Does that happen or not really? Actually, it does. I write based on what I have in mind, and before even writing the story, I'm already contacting the actor uh, under the uh, quote-unquote guidance of the distributor because based on what kind of actor they want and what kind of genre, then that's where the movie will be uh, uh, filmed and, and written, of course. 
So it's just a question of marketing. Uh, and then, you know, the screenplay will be ready in two weeks. We take around two to three weeks of pre-production, and then we start shooting right away. Mm-hmm. And the movie's ready after two weeks. So, you know, it's a, it's a fast uh, it's a fast machine that uh, it's in motion all the time. So we are here to talk to you guys about uh, Andromeda Wars, and we, we kind of talked about that a little bit. Do you plan on uh, having, like, a uh, a big release, or are you going to, like, what, go to, like, Roku or uh, Amazon Prime? What is, what is your oh, goal no. with the distribution on it? <laughs> no, this movie, actually, uh, it will be uh, handled by the, by a big uh, domestic distribution company. I cannot name the name yet, due of NDA. Uh, and uh, I have Finetel handling uh, domestic and as well is they're handling uh, international. Uh, the movie will start to be presented to the public at the Cannes Film Market um, in May 15th, and uh, then we go from there. And how long, did, how long did you say it took you to make the movie? Uh, we shoot in two weeks. We edit in two months. And then it's ready for distribution. You said you you, you said you had a, a you only shot in two weeks. Yes, all the yeah. movies are shot in two weeks. How, how does that work? I'm just kind of uh, curious. They're like, like you know, like movies take like five or six months. <laughs> no, I, I don't want to sound arrogant uh, in my answer that I'll give you guys, but it's uh, system that uh, I'm pretty much the only one in Hollywood that uh, can do this in two weeks. So that's very helpful for the distributor and, uh, and investor because they know they, they can get their money uh, back in, in a very short time. So it's, uh, it's my niche, let's, put, let's call it this way, it's my niche in Hollywood that I can shoot in two weeks. And I'm guessing that uh, when... Or only having a, a, a two-week uh, filming schedule, that would kind of help with uh, funding because, you know, you don't have all that uh, overage for studio time because you're only doing it in two weeks. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. I have uh, prior shooting. We already have location. We already have costuming, of course. We already have everything ready. So uh, once we start shooting, it's pretty much a question of, can we shoot this in 12 hours? <laughs> yes or no? And and then we move, you know, uh, yeah. in a steady pace. And what, what, uh, then I'm going to ask uh, Jane my next question. So with, with a two-week shooting schedule, are you guys, like, shooting, like, 20 hours a day? 12, 12. hours a day. 12 hours a day. All right. And are yeah. you guys filming mostly during the day or at night? Because it's a sci-fi film. I guess most of your shooting is done at night, right? Actually, should, daytime uh, because Jane. we're shooting in a studio. And then, uh, Jane, I'm going to ask you this next. Uh, how many products uh, upcoming do you have uh, besides the ones I named, or are you not allowed to talk about them yet? We will try to shoot, actually. We will try to make a movie as long as, um, as, long as Max could do it, and I really want to make a lot of movies. But it depends be on Max, you know, because he's my director. <laughs> and if I'm not mistaken, you won the award for in 2020 uh, for the best woman filmmaker. Is that correct, Jen? 
Yes, I won the I won the uh, best woman in film in 2022 in um, um, WMIFF World Music Independent uh, Film um, Industry. <laughs> it, uh, it was held in Arlington, in Virginia. And Max, you have you have an award too. One you uh, won in 2015 at the Omega uh, for the Omega File, the uh, best trailer, correct? The Omega File was pretty much Andromeda Awards. So back in the days, we built some set. We did uh, a trailer that generated some interest, so which was very nice. And then now that we have the opportunity to make it into a movie, we changed the title. We change uh, a big chunk of the story. And uh, we <laughs> and we made Andromeda Wars. So coming soon, coming soon, guys. Coming soon. <laughs> yeah, and I, 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 now for, forgive me if if uh, I asked this the wrong way, but because you won the the best movie trailer, I mean you had to have uh, distributors just knocking on your door to do the movie because you won the trailer uh, feature, right? Uh, to be honest, no. You know, there are a lot of uh, film festivals. So film festivals, there are, I don't want to sound ungrateful, but there are only a bunch of just few that are really important. So as you can see nowadays, everybody wakes up uh, in the morning and they have their own film festival. So, <laughs> you know, so that, that winning a film festival doesn't mean anything. Uh, meaning giving a nice award, a nice statuette, a nice uh, diploma on a wall, but that doesn't yeah. translate in, in sales. So That's right. I don't do festival. I only go to a festival if I'm invited. So I was invited in this one. Uh, I got an award, very happy, but that doesn't translate in any sales. So what translated in sales was my past movie that I did for Lionsgate. They made uh, um, good money for the investor. And then, of course, you know, they yeah. were interested in my next one. It's just a question of uh, marketing and how much money uh, you know can you make for uh, for a distribution company. Uh, we got about uh, two minutes here left. Uh, if our fans want to check you guys out, you guys got a Facebook, an Instagram, YouTube, a Twitter, a Twitch, a TikTok. Jan, go ahead first. Well, um, follow me in Instagram, Miss Jane Chua, and also my MDB, Jane Chua, and uh, I have a YouTube that you could follow me and subscribe in JCC Productions. And my, I have a uh, um, Facebook, um, what do you call that, uh, public figure, that is Jane Chua. And I have Jane Chua, Jane Chua 2 and Jane Chua 3 <laughs> in Facebook. Follow and uh, Max, Max, what do you got? Okay, my Facebook is full, so you can follow me <laughs> on Instagram under Max. Cherki, M-A-X-C-E-R-C-H-I. And uh, it's open to, to everybody. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, guys. I, uh, I thank you guys for joining us. Jan, I want to thank you for introducing us to Max. And, uh, Max, I promise I won't call you uh, every day uh, to get a job, but maybe once a month uh, or at least maybe <laughs> once a century. Uh, and, uh, Jan, I promise I'll stop calling you at 2 in the morning because I figured out what time zone you're in now. Right. <laughs> yeah, we're thank in LA, you so, so much. All right. Thank you guys for joining us. And uh, uh, hopefully we haven't scared you away too much. Hopefully you guys will be willing to come on with us again. 
Thank you, Scott, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for having Thank us. Thank you, Scott. Thank you for having us. I love you guys. Thank you. All right. Now, that was an awesome interview. Uh, you can't beat that for fun. But I'll tell you what, we've got a blockbuster interview coming up here uh, real quick, uh, real shortly here. Uh, so uh, we'll be back after these messages, and uh, this commercial uh, will go perfectly with our next guest. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, the new blocks are here. The new blocks are here. Yes, for a limited time, you can get your very own 89.1 Ken's FM clock. For a $25 donation, you can get a classic analog round-faced clock with the 89.1 Ken's FM logo on the front. Just go to our website, www.kensfm.com, and under the More Merch tab, you will find the clocks along with numerous other new merch you can order. Get yours now while supplies last. We have these in limited quantity, so order now at www.kensfm.com. Ladies and gentlemen, stepping out of the green room and walking down the aisle, a man that can definitely tell us all about clocks and clock towers. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the great man from Back to the Future 2 and 3. He is Jeffrey Wiseman. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. Hey, uh, this is Jeffrey Weissman. You're listening to the Attitude Era Monday Night Live on 89.1 Kins FM with, of course, your host, the icon, Scott, the big swing, godmother of wrestling, granny, hulkster, and the modern nightmare, Matthias. All right. How are, you, how are you today, sir? Good to have you with us. I'm so happy you figured out the time changes like your previous guest. <laughs> well, you know, I, uh, I, I, I've been waiting to talk to you, uh, well, I guess since 1985. So uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to have a little fun with you. I... <clears throat> uh, well, in, in, uh, in 85, I was uh, doing a, a Western with Clint Eastwood called Pale Rider, um, which, which turned out to be the highest grossing Western of the 80s. And uh, I wanted to see what the competition was that summer and of course it was back to the future and i was like wow god I, you know i was already a fan of mike fox and and chris lloyd and and i had worked with Kristen glover on a another film uh, at the american film institute and i was like this is awesome this is a great film little did i know that four years later i'd be in the sequels now we're going to we're going to talk a little bit about that i know you get asked that quite a bit and uh, we are definitely going to uh, talk about that. What we'll do here is I'll ask you a few questions, and we'll do a roundtable, and we'll come back to me. I'll ask you the tougher questions. But you originally were not so you you were not the original George McFly. We all know this. Uh, can you kind of tell us what happened and how you became George McFly? Sure. Go ahead. It's a long story. <laughs> no, well, I, we, got, uh, we, got, we, we got you for 37 minutes, so go ahead. I, I had been uh, between film and TV roles working at Universal Studios in Hollywood uh, playing different uh, comedy legends, icons, Kelly uh, Chaplin and Groucho Marx and Stanley Laurel. And the agent 
that helped me get that gig called me up one day in my dressing room and asked if I knew who Chris McGlover was. And I said, sure. I, I worked with him on this film at AFI with Daniel Hurley back in 83. He said, do you think you're the same height and weight? And I said, no, he's, he's taller than I am, heavier probably. And uh, I said, what's this for? And he said, well, they're looking for a, a photo double, probably stand-in for him on a film. And I said, the Back to the Future sequels? Because it was already out in the various Hollywood presses, you know, a variety and Hollywood Reporter that they were calling it Back to the Bank because uh, Chris Lloyd and Mike Fox and Leah Thompson, everyone had, Tom Wilson had agreed to come back and reprise their roles for really good money. And I was like, you know what? I need the work. I wouldn't, I'd be okay with being a, a photo double just so I could make my SAG minimum to get my health insurance because my wife at the time was having our second kid. And I needed work. And uh, so I went in, the agent got me an interview with the, first the assistant directors and then the ADs talked to Robert Zemeckis about me, the director, and then I went to casting next and read uh, the scene from part one uh, where George and Marty are hanging the, the uh, laundry in the back, backyard and the, yep. the casting directors apparently liked that. And then I started going in for uh, facial prosthetics for makeup fittings and then a body cast fitting for special effects. And uh, I was like, wow, this is, this is interesting. And I called Kristen. And I left him a message. I uh, didn't talk with him, but I said, you know, Kristen, I hopefully you remember me from the work we did before and say a good word for me. I, I can use it. I could use the, the work. Uh, and he, he didn't call me back. And slowly I learned that he wasn't coming back to do the role. And it was my makeup artist, makeup designer, Ken Chase, said, you know, you're going to be George. Chrisman is out. I was like, how is that possible? What, what happened? Uh, I figured that Crispin got another film that he couldn't get out of, you know, you know conflict with the, the, the shoot schedule or what have you. Little did I know, you know, as I started working on the film, I learned many stories about his behavior on the first film and his demands for returning to the role. And, uh, and then Crispin later on after part three came out, told, called me up and told me that he never gave his rights to production for the use of his life mask in my makeups. So it was really kind of a sticky situation, which I understand on both sides with the producers and Crispin's side that, you know, they were butting heads and I was caught in the middle of it all. So now did that, uh, you know, you, you mentioned that you had, you had known Chris McGlover. Did that kind of, uh, put a, a strain on any relationship or friendship you had with him? Well, I think there was my assumption that we were friends, uh, and he, use that to, you know, open the door for me to give him uh, stories and photos and evidence to help his case when it came time for him, you know, to take them to task to sue. And, uh, you know, after he got his settlement, it settled uh, before it went to court, uh, right at the beginning, out of court, 
for uh, I think three quarters of a million dollars. And, um, you know, because of that settlement and me kind of putting myself on the line there in Hollywood, uh, you know, letting him share the evidence and stuff to help his case, I figured that he would at least call me and thank me or take me to dinner or something, but that never came. <laughs> uh, Denver anyway, Weisman's on. Um, Ron, 89.1 Kent FM. We've got about 32 minutes here with Jeff. Uh, Jeff, there is, uh, I'm going to introduce you to our uh, one of my co-hosts here, and then we'll uh, bring uh, Big Swing on. But, uh, uh, Granny, I know that you are a Back to the Future fan. What do you have for our guest, uh, Jeffrey Wiseman, the best of the George McFlies? Go ahead. Hello, Granny. Well, you- <laughs> Yes, it's a pleasure and honor to have you on our show tonight. And yes, I love Back to the Future. I, you know, I, I have, I don't know how many times I can tell you I have watched those movies, but every time they bring it back on TV again, I'll, I will watch it. And I mean, I like I said, I just I love Michael J. Fox. Christopher Lloyd's such an amazing, you know, so, they're such amazing actors. I mean, I, I just, I love Back to the Future. I mean, I just and, always was a really big fan, always. I mean, I loved it. And they're so. really good people. You know, Mike is what you see. He's really an incredible spirit, a friendly, funny, intelligent man. You know, unfortunately, the ravages of his Parkinson's has taken its toll, but he is still Mike, and he's a fantastic person, and Chris is a very sweet man. You know, I've I've been very fortunate as the what the adopted bastard son, whatever I am, to that uh, family of talent uh, to become first rub elbows and become friends with the, the the cast, and it's it's a blessing for me as well. And and I like you, I'm like a magnet. When it comes on, I gotta watch it too. <laughs> um. Yeah. Well, I tell you, I gotta tell you a funny story. One year, um, it was um. New Year's Eve, and um, I have a really good friend that works. At, I live in Arkansas. I live in Springdale, Arkansas, and up in up in um, Oklahoma, they have um, a casino. It's called Downstream Casino. And one year for the New Year's Eve thing, they had like Back to the '80s type thing, and they oh. actually had a, a DeLorean up there on display. <laughs> It was so cool. I mean, it was, you know, my husband and I, we got our picture taken, you know, by it and everything. It was so cool to see a DeLorean, you know, that DeLorean up there. Everybody was dressed, everybody was dressed like in, you know, 80s type costumes and, you know, it was just, it was just amazing. But just to see that DeLorean there was like, wow, you know, this is really cool. I mean, when it, when I first, uh, you know, got kind of discovered out of obscurity, uh, it was by the DeLorean owners. And I started being invited to the DeLorean conventions in Pigeon Forge and Chicago and Orlando and, you know, the various ones. And they were the ones that kind of, you know, brought me out of obscurity um, because, you know, the studio kind of tried to keep me quiet, secret. Uh, and it was the love of those DeLorean owners, and then watching over the years how they would, some of them, a handful of them, would get their DeLoreans 
changed into time machines. And I think when I started there in, oh gosh, the early 2000s or late 1990s, there were only maybe, I don't know, five or 10 of the time machines. And then it went up in the mid 2000s to about 15 time machines because, because the conversion is several thousand dollars to make it into a time machine. And now there's literally, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe a hundred or more DeLorean time machines out there. And wow. everywhere those things go, people just are knocked out. They have to have a photo with it. Even my friends, uh, Terry and Oliver Holler out of South Carolina, out of Myrtle Beach, you know, they fell in love with each other. Their pastor actually introduced them to each other because of their mutual love for Back to the Future. And at the time, Oliver was terminally ill with cancer, and they maxed out their credit cards to have to buy a DeLorean. And then Oliver, who's an electronics uh, wizard, changed it into a time machine. And now they started raising money for Mike's Parkinson's Research Foundation. And they have toured literally the world and have raised over a million dollars and his cancer disappeared. I mean, it's, a miracle story. You'll see it uh, recounted in some of the Back to the Future documentaries, like uh, Out of Time or whatever that one is, um, where they follow uh, their story and various other stories, the fans and such. Uh, hold on just a second. Let me uh, get rid of this call coming in. Sorry. Hold on a second. All right. Uh, Christmas. Uh, Jeffrey Wiseman is our guest here on 89.1 Ken's FM, and uh, he's going to uh, get rid of a phone call here. Uh, apparently, uh, he's a pretty popular guy. Uh, he, he told everybody he's going to be on our show tonight, so everybody's calling Hello, to uh, ask him a question. Hey, Jeff, are you back with us? I am back with you. It was my son calling. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's fine. Uh, so uh, was, he, uh, was he trying to get, uh, was he, uh, trying to, uh, get back to 1955, or was he trying to go to 2015? You know, he he uh, uh, is the older brother to the one that was born during the shooting of Part Two. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but Tom Wilson's wife, Michael J. Fox's wife, and my wife all gave birth to baby boys while we were shooting within two weeks of each other. Oh wow! And so, it was uh, like, as if we didn't have enough on our plates. <laughs> so since you guys all had uh, all had. Uh, Three of you had children during the making of the movie. Who, which kid was named Back? Which name was named Two? And which one was named Future? And uh, I, I named mine Part Two. Part <laughs> Two. <laughs> uh, Jeffrey Wiseman's our guest here. Uh, uh, I want to introduce you to uh, the Big Swing. Now, I, now he is definitely a, I guess you would call a Back to the Future geek, and. Uh, if you look, he, he he's always trying to uh, go, get back to the future, so uh, he, he can uh, uh, forget the time that he hired me. But uh, uh, Big Swing, what do you got for our guest? Go ahead. Well, you know, you're kind of you're kind of putting me uh, on the spot here because yes, I, I do enjoy the movies, but I, I wouldn't call myself a geek. I, I watch a whole bunch of movies, and honestly, they all blend together. So I, I you know I couldn't tell you any specific parts about any of them, just that I enjoyed them, but. Um, for me, it was uh, 
I was really getting into, I mean, everyone wants to talk about the movie roles you were in, that you auditioned for, that you were, you know, all of that. I want to go before that, beyond that. What kind of got you into film? What was something that you said, you know what, this is what I want to do? Was there a moment in your life? Was there somebody you looked up to, somebody that led you there? Like, what what did you just, yeah. what, what made the transition in you that said, I want to do this? Yes, Big Swing. Uh, there were quite a few incidents through my formative years that led me to that. Uh, one, the probably the earliest, when I was real little, probably still about five years old or so, uh, I remember my babysitter taking me to my dad's club in, in Beverly Hills, in Hollywood, West Hollywood, and we met the actor Omar Sharif, who was playing cards and backgammon, whatever, at my dad's club. Oh. And seeing her kind of flip out over meeting him. And, I, you know, I had heard he was an actor. I didn't know a lot. Uh, but after we met him, we went into Hollywood and saw a film that he starred in on the big screen, and she flipped out again. And I was like, wow. For her to have that kind of reaction, and she I adored, I, I don't know if that's right or not for a kid to adore their babysitter, but I did, and and I thought, well, that's something I want to do if that has that kind of effect. <laughs> so early on, I think I wanted to be an actor out of um, kind of that uh, love connection. And then... You know, kids are uh, so impressionable anyway that, you know, sometimes when an event happens to them either awesome or traumatic, you know, it, it can affect their future because, you know, when you're a kid, things stick with you a lot more than you know, when you're, when you're an yeah. adult. So, yeah. And and then also, um, you know, my, my parents used to say, you know, that I, I, I came out of the womb kind of acting. Yeah, I was kind of a family class clown and I was carried over into school. I, I kind of thrived on the attention and it took me some hard knocks and lessons to learn that, you know, the attention getting was, okay in fun and games, but it really got me into more trouble than uh, what acting requires. And, and, and I learned that the story is number one, and that you have to support the story and, and learn how to develop characters and the art of acting. And, and luckily that started coming into focus in the early 80s uh, when I got a screen test for the lead in a film called War Games. And uh, I came to the attention of an agent who, uh, you know, got me a lot of doors open. Uh, and that's how I landed my first, first co-star role in uh, the Twilight Zone movie on the uh, remake of Nightmare at 30,000 Feet, uh, directed by George Miller. And from, from there, I started, you know, working in Hollywood, had a good 20 years run doing, uh, you know, film, TV, and commercials. And, uh, and I guess there's some scratchiness going on. Is that, is, is someone scratching my back? What's going on there? No, I think that was just something with the, with the, with the weird feet. I mean, again, it is, uh, it is radio. It Anything could happen. It doesn't it sound better now. Was there any rustling down in Arkansas? I'm been. sorry. Danny, are you, 
are you wrestling down there in Arkansas? We heard some scratching weird sound. I don't know. Anyway. I don't wrestle. I don't wrestle. I, I enjoy watching professional wrestling. I'm just a fan. I holler at all the bad guys. I, I don't like the bad guys in wrestling, but no, I'm not a wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to mention earlier, uh, you know, I've got my sister in Oklahoma and people down there that I adore, and uh, it's really nice to to hear that, that you get up there and, and visit that area. I, I also uh, was – who's there in, in North Dakota? Well, uh, that icon. would be the icon and uh, the modern nightmare Matthias is in North Dakota. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I got, I've been up there. I've uh, performed at uh, casinos up there, at Deadwood and elsewhere, um, playing playing characters, you know, um, doing entertainment. I, I'm oh. Besides a, a film actor, I'm a, a variety entertainer. And probably the uh, best uh, radio engineer in the business is here with us as well. His name is Ken. That's Ken's FM. Right. Exactly. Hey. There we go. They, they, yeah, they he, he's still so good. He got his own. Uh, he got his own FM connection there. <laughs> All right, we have uh, Jeffrey Wiseman as our guest here. We got about uh, twenty minutes. Now, uh, I mentioned that I was going to ask you some of the tougher questions. So. If you, you know, oh, we talked about this. If you don't want to answer them, just say, uh, and what's the next question? We'll move on. But now, when you became George McFly, uh, number two, or the next George McFly, or whatever you want to word it, how many different scenes did you have to reshoot uh, from part one? Because obviously, Chris and Glover couldn't be in, the, in any of the scenes. Right. Uh... We had to recreate the enchantment under the sea dance. And that was, you know, all the extras and all the principals came back to where we shot it, or where they shot it originally at the Hollywood Methodist Church. And it was it was very surreal, um, you know, because I loved the first film and to be immersed in it and then also to have to play one of the principal parts was was very surreal. I had to pinch myself, <laughs> um, being in the in the middle of it and and being able to uh, recreate the magic. You know, kissing Lorraine and and then out in the parking lot, we had to recreate George knocking this out. And Tom was a consummate professional. We worked really long hours all night long. You know, from sunset to sunup to get those scenes absolutely accurate. You know, Tom and I would race back to the video playback to make sure our, our placement and our physicalizations and our fists and everything going on was, and our facial expressions were, were accurate in recreating. Um, but once again, because my makeup, even though it took me three and a half, four hours a day just to get into each makeup, uh, it wasn't precisely, you know, Crispin, uh, it, it, was based on obviously his life mask, but it looked odd if you see close-ups. So then they, uh, in editing, would take unused footage from the first film and splice it together with my work to give you the illusion that it was still Crispin, which I'm sure pissed him off and caused him to sue. Um, but it works. I mean, I still get a good 35% of people that I meet who say, no, you weren't George. And I was like, yeah, I was. And they, they didn't realize that it was a different actor. 
So, you know, uh, from Spielberg down to Kathleen Kennedy to Neil Canton and, and Bob Dale, they, they kind of mission accomplished. They needed to have Crispin, but they couldn't work out the details to have him. Uh, and But they still needed to give the illusion. So it was seamless. So I'm kind of like the glue on keeping the trilogy, you know, together. Because at, at the end of part three, I come back as, George, age 47. And that makeup is pretty accurate to what Kristen's 47-year-old makeup looked like at the end of part one. Um, so a lot of people, you know, you know, Hollywood's a fantasy. It, it, it fooled people. And I think that was ultimately their goal. Um, and they were hoping that they would not get into too much trouble. And I think the insurance companies on the uh, – film, you know, paid off Crispin when the court settlement happened and onward, uh, you know, don't look back. But, you know, of course, Crispin hasn't really let go of it and Bob Dale has not let go of it and they keep butting heads. But uh, my hope and wish, as I've said in other interviews and throughout the years, is that that they'll get over it and stop being the Hatfields and the McCoys and and do something for the fans and, and Michael's charity where there's like a reunion and a reckoning and and raise money more for the research for Parkinson's cure. Um, that's kind of, you know, my dream that would come out of this. And it, and it would also thrill the fans to no end to see everyone get along. And for those of you who listen to our show on a regular basis, if you go to 89.1 Kids FM, you like that page. You go to Attitude Air Monday Live Monday, you like that page. Do a $10 a month donation to Power Tower. We'll get you qualified to win an autograph picture from a past guest, current guest, or future guest. And I did get the autograph picture yeah. that uh, sent me, and I do appreciate that. And I also want to thank I, – I don't know if I should mention this, but I want to thank you for the bonus. He sent me an autographed uh, Pizza Hut uh uh, rapper from rapper. the movie. Yeah. It's a, it's, a I, it's not actually from the movie. It'd be worth a lot, a lot of money. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. When, when people see it on my man cave wall, they're not going to know it wasn't in the movie. <laughs> uh, well, Jimmy I, I was happy to. At first, I was like, you want me to send you these, these signed pictures for free? What what the heck? And then I was like, wait a minute. This is for the listeners and his his fans and stuff. So I was happy to send them your way, and if, say, someone who doesn't win it want to get one, they can reach me through my website. You know, JeffreyWeissman.com has an email link, and, and I sell them for pre- pretty reasonable, uh, you know, fair market value. And uh, I do appreciate that, and uh, my fans do appreciate that. I'm going to ask you one more Back to the Future question, and then uh, I'm going to talk to you about some of your other stuff. The scene when you – when you were first introduced in part two, when they were in, in 2015, and you you show up on, and you were upside down. Now tell me, you were not really upside down. That was just a camera trick, right? They did not really suspend you upside down, did they? Right. No. No. If no, they didn't have CGI back then. Um, I think you know we worked with a camera. This VistaVision Peniflex run by the Tondro um, that was the cutting edge of uh, computer CGI at the time that was able to splice the film so Mike could play multiple characters or Tom had to play multiple characters. Um, But it wasn't able to, say, illustrate someone 
turning them upside down. No, I was upside down all during that shoot. Um, some of the hours were 19 hours. But one week I had a 19, a 21, and even a 26-hour long day hanging upside down. Can you imagine being upside down for 26 straight hours? Wow. Well, they would they would give me a break every once in a while. They they didn't like getting me down because it took a long time to get me down off the contraption. But they uh, my handlers from ILM uh, built a nice little platform on a ladder, so they would say uh, when Zemeckis would call cut, you know, they'd say Jeffrey do a do a sit up. <laughs> so I do a sit up, and they'd slide the ladder with the board under me and I could lie back and then leave me on set while everyone would go off and have a coffee. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty grueling. It was long, hard hours, long, hard work, but I was also at the same time feeling very blessed to be on such a, a fantastic uh, set and project with such great talent. Um, I, I, you know, curious thing, I was probably one of the last people to come on to the Back to the Future 2 project because they, of course, waited till the last possible moment, hoping that they'd have Christmas. And when I got my script, uh, in Hollywood, a script, it, when the writers do a rewrite on a scene, they change the color of the paper. So this, this version is going to be yellow. This version is going to be brown. This version is going to be green or blue or what have you. And when I got my script, those scenes in particular, the McFly 2015 kitchen or household, uh, was a rainbow of colors. And they, obviously, because they didn't know whether they had Crispin or not, had written all these alternate versions of how they were going to get through this scene and, and, and tackle this problem, this hurdle. In one version, and I don't forget the color, it might be salmon, <laughs> um, <laughs> Marty, Marty is hanging upside down in the ortho lab. Dialogue is something like, how did... How did your back go out, Marty? He says, oh, out when I was playing squash. You know, I, not too long ago, just a few months ago, I got that script out and was reading it. I was like, oh, wow. I don't think people really know this, that, you know, there are all these different possibilities of how that scene would have gone. Um, so, so it was very interesting to, to see how the writers and producers were scrambling to work around the hurdles they had to get over. Um, so there's a little tidbit that I don't think I've shared on any other shows. There you have it, uh, Monday Monday Live on 89.1, Tim's FM. Uh, you know, you know, you mentioned uh, that uh, you got to be in uh, Pell Rider in '85 with uh, um, Clint Eastwood. Uh, how many times? Yeah. How many times did he uh, tell you on the set? Do you feel lucky? Yeah, uh, you know, I told myself I felt lucky. Uh, that getting that role was really a, a wonderful stroke of luck in that uh, Chris Penn, you know, Sean Penn's late brother, uh, wonderful actor Chris, had met Clint yep. at a party in, in Malibu or something. So I want to work with you and tell writers Chris and offered him the role of Eddie Conway. And Chris kind of threw it back at Clint and said, I want to play good guy, I want to play bad guy. So Clint moved Chris over to uh, LaHood's son, the bad guy that he plays in the film, 
And the actor playing Teddy Conway, the role that I ended up playing, was moved into Eddie. And my agent at the time was kind of a go-getter, and she had called Warner Brothers Casting and said, do you have anything that you're casting that hasn't come out in the breakdowns that hasn't gone you know, to other agents? And she said, yeah, but we're going to cast some of our files. She said, what is it? And I just happened to fit the description of that role. So I went in and auditioned, and, and I knew from reading the sides, the scene that I had to read, that I had to cry on cue. And as an actor, I've said a lot of different techniques of acting and had sort of as my security blanket these different ways I was going to make myself cry on cue. I had a lock of my grandmother's hair. It was the only one in my family who encouraged me to become an actor because I wanted to starting young. I had a lock of her hair in my pocket. I had uh, this fantasy charging technique uh, that Meisner, this famous acting guru, taught, teaches or taught. And, you know, I wasn't going to leave anything to chance because I wanted to work with Clint Eastwood. What a gift this would be. And luckily the script was good enough and uh, the tears came, no problem. And I was put on tape and sent to Clint on Friday. And by Monday I was on an airplane heading to location in Sun Valley, Ketchum, Idaho. And it was a thrill. You know, I often put my foot in my mouth with Clint. Um, <laughs> I, you know, the, the, he wasn't satisfied with the caterer and fired them the next day. A new caterer was there cooking on the top of a mountain where we were shooting and served steak and lobster and uh, for lunch. And yet it was a blizzard outside. We were in a blizzard eating steak and lobster. Just my ex-wife, Clint, and I were at the table together. I was like, nice weather, Clinton. He said, I didn't expect it to be snowing in October. You know, it, you know every once in a while, uh say something to Clinton. I'd often uh, put my foot in my mouth, uh, either citing age or uh, other circumstances. But Clinton was a real gentleman, and I adored working with uh, Michael Moyarty and Terry Snodgrass and Richard Dysart and Richard Keel and Fran Ryan and on and on, you know, uh, there were so many great talents in that ensemble cast. It was a real thrill for me, just like in Back to the Future and Twilight Zone movie, you know, I've been very fortunate to be part of really fine ensembles. I'm currently working in a stage production of Clue, you know, the, the, the board game Clue? Uh-huh. Uh, well, there's a wonderful stage production a script of it and I'm working in a fantastically talented cast and we're getting great reviews and the audiences are just in hysterics with our, every show. I have six more shows and that's why I'm a little uh, tired right now. I'm in between uh, runs right now about to finish six of 34 shows. And, uh, and I'm playing, I'm playing three roles in it. Well, you know, I'll tell you what, we, we do appreciate uh, uh, you, uh, you taking time out of your busy schedule. I mean, you are, you are just awesome, sir. And uh, we're, we're, not ready to, we're not ready to have you go yet. Uh, but uh, we have, well, let's see, we have uh, five more minutes with you. I wish it were five more years because there's so many other things I want to cover. Uh, but, you know, aside back to the future, like I said, Dale Ryder, you know, you also were in a lot of my favorite TV shows. Uh, you were in Saved by the Bell, uh, The Man Show. Uh, you were in Max Headroom, uh, probably one of my favorites, uh, Scarecrow and Mrs. King. Uh, I used to no. always watch 
I used to watch that show with my parents, and I would always have, uh, not that everybody cares, but I always would get a little glass of milk and uh, three chips of white cookies that I would watch uh, Scarecrow and Mrs. King so I could have uh, my uh, uh, chocolate chip cookies. Uh, that's the only way I could get chocolate chip cookies would watch the Scarecrow and Mrs. King. One of the, one of the uh, rewarding things for me, uh, and they're not very frequent, but every once in a while, uh, there'll be reunions. And, example, uh, Saved by the Bell, you know, unfortunately we lost Dustin Diamond a couple of years ago during the pandemic uh, and his cancer. And, you know, on that I played his guru, the, the high geek, and uh, there, was, there was this, this pop-up Saved by the Bell environment restaurant. And I went there and was treated like a, you know, a god. You know, oh, you were Screech's guru. Oh, wow. You know. um, and this year, in fact, uh, in Los Angeles is the 40th anniversary reunion of Scarecrow and Mrs. King. And I apparently was on the... I guest starred on the second highest rated episode that season. I think it was the second season. And it was the the highest rated one was the one where he finally kisses her. <laughs> um, right. And, and, and when the episode of Film Rolls, what it was called. Uh, yeah, Filming Raul. Filming uh, Raul, right. right. The, uh-huh. And uh, I got contacted by the uh, head of the fan club, and I'll be appearing there. Uh, with Bruce Boxleitner, and they're hoping that Kate's going to come, and I'm really looking forward to that in October. Um, and that just, you know, makes makes my millennium in that uh, I got recognized for this thing. And, you know, at the time when I guest starred on that show, I was such a, a down-and-out kind of broke actor, and I landed the role, and I borrowed my neighbor's car to get to the location, and the car, this old VW Bug, had no brakes, uh, one headlight. <laughs> I drove from West Hollywood to Pasadena to the location. And when I arrived on set, I think it was a transportation head or something. He says, what are you, is that thing even legal? I said, you know, it's all, the only way I could get here. He says, if you would call production, we would have come and picked you up. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God. Uh, but I uh, also, you know, because early on, just to get on movie sets, I would do work as a uh, background extra because I really wanted to get the know of how movies work and such. So I worked on films like uh, The Rose with Bette Midler or Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band with Peter Crampton and the Bee Gees or FM with Martin Mull and company Eileen Brennan. And, uh, you know, a handful of these films. And when I got on the Scarecrow Mrs. King set, because it was early in the morning, I went and got my breakfast burrito, whatever, from the catering truck, and, and went and sat with the extras who were there earlier, and I was getting along, chatting with them all, and then the AD, the assistant, the assistant director, came over and said, we're ready for you, you know, in, in wardrobe or makeup and all, and all the extras looked at me and like, what, you're not one of us? And I said, no, I'm the guest star this week. And they were all like, what are you doing here with us? I was like, oh, you're people. What's the matter? <laughs> it's all good. And it's interesting awesome. because I've seen over the years this sort of segregation between the background and the principles and all. And sometimes that, that kind of wall that goes up is, I think, 
really kind of abused and unnecessary. I've, I've been on shoots. I wanted to work and get on a big set and, and was working on the film version of Rent uh, a number of years ago, Chris Columbus directing. And, and when I was hanging out just because I was background and just wanting to be on the set, uh, I would hang out with the dancers because I love dancers and choreographers. You know, I've worked hard uh, on my own dance and, and singing and so on and so forth as every actor should. Uh, the, the AD came over to me and wanted to really give me a hard time because I shouldn't be there with the dancers and principals and stuff. I said, well, I was invited here to hang with them and lunch with them and stuff. And I kind of shut her down. But, but nonetheless, there is this, I don't know, it's inner working segregation that I think is abusive. I'd love to see an end to that. But uh, it probably doesn't have anything that your uh, listeners want to hear. Um, what else you got there, uh, Scott? Bring it on. Well, uh, Jeffrey Wiseman is our guest here. we got about uh, 60 seconds with uh, with you, sir. Uh, if our fans want to check you out and see you, you got a Facebook, an Instagram, YouTube, a Twitter, a Twitch, a TikTok. What do you got? Please do. Uh, on Twitter, it's at Jeff, J-E-F, only one F, Weissman, W-E-I-S-S-M-A-N. On Instagram, it's at Jeffrey J. Weissman, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-J-W-E-I-S-S-M-A-N. On uh, Facebook, you know, the personal page has been at the 5,000 stupid Facebook limit for 10 years or more. Uh, so my, <laughs> I know the feeling. Uh, my fan page there uh, is uh, at Jeffrey Weissman Actor. Once again, my website is jeffreyweissman.com, and from that home page, you can email me, and I'll answer your questions or sell you a, a Pizza Hut wrapper signed or photo. I have a lot of rare behind-the-scenes photos that a lot of people have not seen and uh, are, are quite wonderful. And if you have, you know, any connections to the fan cons in your town, you know, I'm a fun guest. I have a panel where I share never-before-seen-in-public footage from the making of Back to the Future Part Two. That is a real thrill if you're a big fan to see new footage or new angles of stuff or me getting into makeup. Uh, it's quite a thrill. And, you know, because they wanted to keep me a secret, it was cut from the uh, documentary, The Making Of. That's awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, Jeffrey, thank you for joining us tonight. You are awesome, and uh, hopefully you'd be willing to join us again because we have so many other things we want to talk about. Absolutely. Thanks, We've got Johnny Dangerously. We've got uh, Crackers. We've got all sorts of other films and, and TV shows. Uh, happy to chat away. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for being with us tonight. You're awesome, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Big Swing. Thank you, Wrestling Granny. And, of course, you've got the icon. Be well. All right, take care, Jeff. Thanks. All right, I we got about uh, yeah, we got about uh, ninety seconds here. Uh, so uh, for those of you, uh, uh, join us next week, same time, nine p.m. to eleven p.m. Central Time here on eighty-nine point one Kens FM. In the meantime, it's not goodbye; it's just good night. Uh, love each other, care for each other. Join us next week. We'll see you at that time. Love each other.